It's good news, isn't it, that uh, Jesus is building his church and he's always building his church and nothing stops the progression of his church. And I mentioned last week that we can imagine our circumstances as a free day event. Um, day one of a pandemic is where we're reacting and responding and uh, trying to work things out, trying to work things out online and trying to work in how we do church. That's day one. And uh, I guess there were many of us who thought that September, everything was going to change. Schools go back. Kids are going back to school. So surely we must have thought, oh, okay, September, church will be back. But instead, we found ourselves in what we could describe as day two. And day two is actually harder than day one, because day one has lots of a, a sense of a, uh, we're, we're responding, we're reacting, this is all new and fresh. Day two is we're six months in and uh, nothing much has changed. And day three, three is when you see the light at the end of the tunnel and uh, things are beginning to change. But I want to talk about day two to start with, that actually day two, like we said, is harder than day one. And I think for most of us, we've experienced that uh, the systems that allowed us to connect to one another have kind of unraveled. Um, the ways that families connected has unraveled with the rule of six. Um, the way friendship was um, expressed and uh, the way that we could just talk and, and hang out over coffee has changed. Churches changed. Our rhythms have been disrupted. The... Uh, uh, the blurring between work and home has, has left us uh, struggling for many of us. Even our understanding of holidays has changed and birthdays has changed. In our family, we had three lockdown birthdays. Even our understanding of seasons has changed. I don't know if you feel that this year feels like a really long year. We were talking about something the other day and we thought it happened two years ago and actually it, it, it happened in February and uh, even our understanding of seasons has changed. And I want to start by saying to each of us that um, we need to let our body be a prophetic voice to us. I heard one person say that our body, our emotions, our feelings are not a minor prophet, they're actually a major prophet. Our body is actually speaking to us about what we need and what we feel and what's going on. And denial is not faith. Faith is able to look at reality. We learn that from Romans 4, that Abraham looked at his body and considered it uh, dead and Sarah's womb barren. So I want to be honest. We're going to talk about where we're going. There's going to be an exhortation to new things and new courage. But I'm not interested in the kind of rah-rah, unrealistic presentation that doesn't recognize the fact that day two is actually challenging there needs to be an acknowledgement that when we're in day two and we don't know how long something's going to go on for, actually a lot of us are suffering with weariness. I want to say that actually weariness is kind of normal. Actually, we can experience things like feeling overwhelmed and even uncertain. And those things are normal. And our body is telling us when we feel overwhelmed and weary, actually, I need to draw on the grace of God and I need to come to God, not rah, 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 push through, denial, try extra hard. Sometimes we can feel depleted. We have to acknowledge we're in a six-month wall. We thought this was weeks, now we're into months, and it's very possible this is going on 
for a lot longer. So day two is messy. Day two doesn't have the advantage of light at the end of the tunnel. But day two is where innovation comes, is where creativity happens, is where fresh new things happen. Day two is where together as a community, we create something that takes us both into day three and beyond that. I wanna say that one of the realities and one of the revelations that comes in this season is the power of community, the power of relationships, and the power of authenticity. That actually loneliness really hurts us. I was listening to a podcast from a major medical practitioner in America who's researched the effects of loneliness. And he said that loneliness can lead to heart disease. Loneliness can lead to a whole array of different sicknesses, that loneliness hurts. And the interesting thing about loneliness is it's very subjective and we don't really know that we're experiencing loneliness. Sometimes we feel loneliness and it comes out as anger. Sometimes it can be frustration. Sometimes it can be despair. Sometimes loneliness can be depression. And someone might ask us how we're doing and we might say, I'm feeling angry, but maybe under the surface of that is loneliness and disconnection from community. Actually, individualism is a lie. Western culture says we're all individuals. It's about me, my life, but actually we're all interconnected. Individualism is a lie and it's actually a war against God's design and God's um, way of doing. We've all probably experienced you're in the office and someone gossips or someone says a joke that you don't appreciate and it can leave you actually feeling bad all day because something someone else says can affect you because we're all interconnected. Have you ever been on the train on a commute when someone has a bad attitude or someone's swearing on the phone, it, it does something to your, your emotions, your soul, you feel it because we're interconnected beings. Wonderfully, the Bible says the church is a body. I mean, it's a radical thing the Apostle Paul was saying, talking about the interconnectivity of the body with different parts of the same body of Christ. A study was taken of how Christians are experiencing isolation and the pandemic. They're saying this is in the church, that mental health, there's a mental health crisis, not just in society, in the broader world, but there's a mental health crisis in the church, that it's massive and growing, that there's a massive experience of loneliness amongst young people. The younger a person is, the more they're experiencing anxiety that's rooted in loneliness. There is growing relational strains. There's a huge demand on relate and marriage counseling right now. There is a, there's a peak and a surge of people filing for divorce right now. I'm talking broadly there in the world, but that's even happening in the church, that people are strained, marriages are strained, singles are struggling, parents with kids are struggling. And actually there's a whole surge in people's experience of addiction. That addiction is deepening, not just around us, but in the church. Loneliness is at the root, I would say, of pretty much all those things. And so 
one of the great things the pandemic has revealed and exposed is the fundamental need of deep, authentic relationships. That what we need comes from Christ, but often how it comes to us is through people. That's the whole argument of Ephesians 4, that grace flows from person to person, encouragement, exhortation, building one and up in love. These are all relational things. Even the gifts of the spirit are given for the common good, for the edification and for the building up of one another. So life flows from person to person to person. That community, that family, that relationship is actually restorative. That when a person's in a deep relationship with another person and they're being real and true to who they are, both with their strengths and their struggles, that experience breaks the power of loneliness and it actually energizes people. Time with people where there's no purpose and no agenda, what we could call play, strengthens people and leaves them encouraged. So the church actually isn't shut down. The Sunday morning gathering, the big celebration that we love and we still love and we look forward to it being restored, is just one facet of the church. So if community is really important, what we then need is fresh new wineskins to both house the wine of relationship and wineskins that pour out the wine. I want to say that for the church, the historic church, this situation is nothing new. What we're experiencing now, as one commentator called it, a biological persecution. I don't believe it's, in, I don't believe in conspiracy theories or, but there's something biological happening that's impacting the church. This has been happening on and off for 2000 years. The first 300 years of the church, the church was uh, underground and having to often meet in secret, believers being persecuted. Christians, followers of Jesus, have always had to be resilient. Christians have always had to be very adaptive. Christians throughout the centuries have had to be flexible and nimble and able to pivot and change as circumstances changed. Throughout history, there have been moments where the church hasn't been able to gather openly, collectively, as a whole body. Some commentators say that the last century, the 20th century, was the century where there was the most persecution against the church compared to any other century. Some people argue that 70% of martyrdom happened in the 20th century. And the 20th century is full of examples where Christians had to be flexible and couldn't meet openly. I'm just gonna go through a few. And the reason I'm saying this is we have to be those who understand that though this is not persecution in terms of governmental oppression, and we are not being imprisoned or executed or martyred for our faith, we have to understand we are having an opportunity to engage with what has been 
the experience of many believers through the century and what is the experience right now of many believers around the world. In Russia in 1917, there was a revolution. 600 bishops and 40,000 priests, 120,000 Christian monks and nuns were killed. The church in Russia had to go underground for 75 years and believers couldn't meet openly. In Korea, when the Japanese occupied Korea, Christians were both imprisoned and killed. In North Korea, North Korea was the first revival of the 20th century. Um, Christians still today can't meet publicly and acknowledge Jesus. In Armenia, 1.5 million people were killed, many of them Christians. Again, that's in the early part of the 20th century. In South Africa, many Christians were those who opposed apartheid and resisted apartheid and found themselves persecuted and imprisoned. In Germany, during the Second World War, Christians who refused to endorse Hitler couldn't meet publicly, were imprisoned and executed, including the famous theologian um, Bonhoeffer. In Uganda, under the leadership of Idi Amin, after he converted to Islam, he had 400,000 Christians executed. In Colombia, many Protestants and Catholics were murdered by the revolutionary forces and the government troops. In Albania, all religion was outlawed. And in 1967, churches were burned. In Iraq and Iran, ISIS brought severe persecution to Christians. In Burma, churches and schools were closed at the beginning of the 1960s and there was ongoing persecution under military dictatorship. In Cambodia under Pol Pot, all churches were shut down and there was a massive genocide. Vietnam, after the fall of the South, churches were shut down, there was persecution and many Christians were sent to what they called re-education camps in order to re-educate them out of following Jesus. In Singapore, under the Japanese occupation, pastors and priests were sent to prison. And nearly at the end, in China, in 1949, under the Cultural Revolution of Mao Zedong, the communists shut down the Christian church. They sent all the foreign missionaries home and one million Christians went underground and could no longer meet publicly. Now listen to this. 51 years later, the churches, uh, in, a, in a sense, offered more freedom and can more openly worship, and they found that they were now 80 million Christians in China. The church had grown from 1 million to 80 million underground. Today in China, there are 100 million people who follow Jesus. Today, in Islamic nations, 
men and women who come to Christ meet secretly. They continue in the mosque, otherwise they risk being killed. So they have to have secret meetings. So though what we're experiencing is nothing that comes anywhere close to these uh, believers' experience, we can ask the question, we're in day two, we can't meet the way we used to meet, so what does God have for us? One of the things we know that God has for us is this is an opportunity for a fresh start, that God has given the church an opportunity for a new beginning, a renaissance, a metamorphosis, a transformation, a rebirth. What will we do with the unique opportunity? And going back to the beginning of what I said is that community, relationship, family, walking together, that individualism is a war against God's original design, that every single revelation that we experience from intimacy with Christ gets outworked by loving outflow to other men and women. That this pandemic is giving us an opportunity to re-emphasize the vital importance of the body of Christ. That relationship and family and being known and knowing and walking deeply is absolutely fundamental to who we are and what we're called to do. We're called as believers to love one another and help one another walk deeply with Jesus and walk deeply with others. Jesus says after his resurrection, go and make disciples. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. Now I love the Sunday meeting and Sunday meetings are part of our discipleship program. But fundamentally, Jesus said, help one another become learners of me, followers of me, and servants of me. We had a meal on Friday uh, with, a, with a couple of uh, friends and someone there who I'd not met before, a lady called Julie, uh, a, a, a very prophetic woman, talked about these are days of not just having the one big fire, which is the Sunday gathering, but multitudes of mini fires all over the place. And it just was a great image that expressed what we believe God has put on our heart. That it's not just about the one big Sunday gathering, though wonderful as it is, it's a blazing fire of coming together with one purpose, one heart to honor Jesus and learn together. God is saying in day two, build multiple mini fires that men and women together can gather around. We are going to meet again on a Sunday. It's going to happen. This is not going on forever. But what are we going to do now in this opportunity? This moment is an opportunity, an invitation from Jesus to build something deep together that we meet in a whole variety of new ways, that we build something now that will take us beyond COVID. So in order to do this, we need to find ways to support, encourage and exhort one another so that we grow together, 
that we have fun together, that we walk deeply together. In Mozambique, when Heidi Baker goes to a village, she shouts, bring me the deaf. And essentially they heal the deaf, the lame, the sick. They lead them to Jesus and then they move on to another area. And she says, bring me somebody who can read. And the person who can read becomes the pastor, becomes the leader, becomes the one who helps the others grow in their faith and develop. She doesn't say, bring me a few people and place them on a Bible college for the next 12 years and then they can lead. No, we've, we've got people who need to grow. And the one who's going to help them is, first of all, a follower of Jesus. And they can read the Bible and help other people to learn to engage with God in prayer and discipleship and digging deep in his word. Sometimes all we need to be is one step ahead of someone else. Sometimes all we need is just we've been on the road a day more than someone else. That's all we often need. Sometimes as a teacher in a media college, I didn't understand how the technology worked. And sometimes if I didn't know how it worked, I'd give the kids a break and say, go and have a coffee. I'd grab a technician. The technician would show me what to do. Then I'd bring them back and it looked like I was an expert. All I did was one step ahead of the others. So actually we do need to support one another in in, in where we lack, go and find someone who knows a bit more. So what I want to end with this, if you call CCK your home, you've been amongst us, you say, this is my family, this is why I want to outwork my faith. You might not think of yourself as a leader. I never ever thought of myself as a leader. I just found myself growing in Christ and doing more. And I want to say to you, you might be thinking, what do I do then to create community? And the invitation I want to give you is this, is would you like to explore stepping up to facilitate and create community? Maybe just for two other people. Maybe you feel more capacity and you think, you know what, I could facilitate and create community for five people, six people. I want you to imagine what would that look like for you to facilitate creating an opportunity for people to walk deeply, to begin to pray, uh, to begin to dig into the scriptures, for you to be somebody who is helping others grow in their walk with God, for you empowering those other two people or those three people to begin to disciple one another too. I want to invite you to be super creative. I know that some of you, even on this call, you get up early. You know, when you are normally traveling into the city, you've got to the city early, that you've had to drop children off to be looked after. You come home at seven, you pick up your child, you have to put them into bed, you get hardly any time, and you'll be thinking, I don't even know if I've got time to facilitate a community. I want you to be really creative about what that could look like. Do you, if, if you have to go into the city to work, do you happen to get on the same train? Is there a way that you could dig into the Bible together and two other people, you, you, you share your insights onto WhatsApp or Zoom or, and when you can, you have a Saturday coffee. I don't know. There's a whole myriad ways that community can look like. It doesn't have to look like we meet together every Wednesday at 7.30. It can be any way. 
You've got permission to make it happen. You've got permission to imagine, be creative. Ask Holy Spirit, what would it look like for me to be someone who helps someone else go deeper? What would it look like for me to create a space where other people mature and grow? I want to say that we, what would it look like for you to go on a journey where your neighbor comes to Christ and you baptize them and then you begin to train them? What would it look like? Could you imagine that, that you lead people to Christ, you see them set free? That was the early church. It was organic, it was nimble, it was flexible. It might be a journey that might be many steps ahead, but the first step might be, that includes me. Be as creative as you want. We'll create resources to help you dig into the scriptures so you go to the Bible firsthand. We'll create prayer pointers so that you can pray uh, wisely and deeply. You're going to see answers to prayer as you come up with your own things. So the first step I want to leave you with this. Why don't you ping me back a text that says, I just want to know more. You're not sending a text saying, I'm in, I'm committed. I just invite you to send a text where you say, I want to explore this. I want to, uh, I want to know more about what it would look like for me to facilitate, to lead, to step up. And for others, you might be thinking, that's not me right now, but I know I'm isolated and I need community and I need to walk deeply with others. Maybe the text that you send back is, I must be in community. I've got to be in a community where I'm not just a passive receiver, but I'm, a, I'm going to grow in becoming a person of faith with something to give away. I just want to end by saying thank you guys for the, for the life groups we already have. Thank you for the men's group. Thank you. Hector and John for the amazing Nepalese community, for Coffee with Jesus, for Pam's group where, you, where you're laughing and learning how to engage with the joy of God, for the, the various groups that are already happening. Thank you so much. We're not for the book group where you read books and have fun together. That is community where you dig into a book, not just a Christian book where you grow together and have fun. What I want to say for others of us, it might be you're not leading something right now. Those groups are going to continue, but you might want to step up and say, actually, I could do this. And let me say this is just one challenge for us. This is going to cost. For some of us, we've been um, mature followers of Christ for decades and for years. And, and, and we're, we're in groups where we're feeling, yeah, I'm being fed and I'm enjoying the community. It might just be for you a time where you say, Holy Spirit, is this a time for me to break out of this comfortable community to step into something I feel really uncomfortable with in order to love and to gather those who are not yet in community? It might cost you. And can I say from experience in closing, Every time you step out and feel uncomfortable and go beyond where you've normally been, you grow in Christ. You grow. Every time you're courageous and bold and brave, you grow in Christ. And so I, I encourage you to, to think about that and maybe let other people know who are not on this call to go to the YouTube channel. It's going to be there so that you can then um, you know, pass this on to other people. So thanks, guys. Thank you, Jesus, that you're building your church. Thank you. You've uh, reminded us of the power of community and the power of connection. Thank you, God.